can't curse because the radio people are here. <laughs> A warning. This episode contains some explicit language. Previously on this season. So I just need everybody to stay together, okay? Trust me, I'm as frustrated as anybody in this room, okay? It's always good to have a wife who can kind of calm you down and just kind of put things in perspective. Coach Bagnoli reached out to me, you know, very, very early, you know, maybe, maybe when he first even thought about it and just kind of started beating around the bush asking about, you know, what do you think, you know, could Columbia turn it around? We sprayed champagne, we sprayed beers, it was awesome. Next weekend, we're taking down 10. Who's with me? Yeah! Bring me the Bagnoli Bowl! <laughs> the legend of Al Bagnoli. He had fought many battles for many years and won more battles than he had lost. He was feared by his opponents, admired by his men. When he reached an age when coaches retire, he stepped aside, and he sat on a bench under, let's say it was an oak tree, and he listened to the wind shaking the leaves, and he thought, I am going to lose my mind. Actually, it was a desk job in athletics administration at the University of Pennsylvania that made him think that. Every day was like a cookie-cutter day, you know. And, and athletics, every day is either a 1 or a 10, depending if you won or lost. And every day in administration was like a 5. You were like flatlined the whole time. Past glory was little consolation. His wife, Mary Ellen Bagnoli, remembers the same period, clearly, and a little more fondly. Well, um, he had just stepped down from coaching. He was still working at Penn, and it was nice. It was like a 9-to-5 job, which we had never had. Um, so, so we were having dinner together a lot. And then all of a sudden, after a couple of months, the holidays went by, and then the phone calls started coming. And every night he was on the phone for longer and longer periods of time. And uh, then finally he said, you know... Um, what would you think if I went back into coaching? And I said, if that's going to make you happy, we're in it. This is the life we know. This is what we've done all our life. And we'll support you in whatever you decide. So he said yes. And I did see a resurgence of energy, you know, and just being really happy knowing that he might be back into the football life. So, and here we are back into the football life again. Hello and welcome to the season. I'm Ilya Meritz. There's this thing that happens in Legends. The hero leaves his home, he goes out into the world, fights his dragons, but eventually he has a reckoning with his own origins. Luke must fight Vader, his own father. Katniss returns to District 12 and it's been destroyed and it changes her. Confronting the past unlocks self-knowledge. Even Steve Jobs, a real-life legend, experienced this. He was ousted from Apple, the company he co-founded, and then came back a dozen years later, a humbler, more focused Jedi, ready to take the world by storm. Well, now it's Al Bagnoli's turn, and the particular twist on the legend for Al Bagnoli is rough. Because his fifth game leading the Columbia University Lions, he's facing his own legacy, the University of Pennsylvania, coaches he hired, players he recruited. Not just that, it's Columbia's homecoming, and the Lions just won a game for a change. They broke the 24-game losing streak, and they want to show the world it's not a fluke. 
This episode, you'll hear what happens when Columbia faces Penn. First, you'll meet some of the people who made Al Bagnoli, Al Bagnoli, and put him on his path. Clearly, I want Penn to do well, and probably win, frankly. Um, but I would like to see Columbia play very well. Spoken like a close colleague, which is what Steve Bilski is. For 20 years, he was Coach Bagnoli's boss, athletic director at Penn. And he says Coach put his reputation at risk going to Columbia. He probably figured the pluses of taking this job outweighed the possible minuses. I think he, he might not talk about it, and he shouldn't, frankly, because he's just starting. Certainly on the minus sides will be, you know, that his, his tremendous success, um, you know, that he's had his whole career, could be dampened if he goes out in his last few years you know, with losing records. And I think that was something that I'm sure he considered. So maybe it was boredom. Maybe it was cockiness. But the fact that he decided to go on anyway shows that he has a confidence that, that he can be successful at Columbia. The people who know Al Bagnoli best say he's cautious, conservative. And yet they're not completely surprised he would take a risk because more than anything else, he's competitive. Bob Ford, a longtime coach at the University of Albany, gave Bagnoli his first coaching job. Bagnoli calls him his mentor. Well, my first thoughts were I've known an awful lot of the head coaches at Columbia through the years. We had an opportunity to play them uh, at one point, and uh, many of them were good coaches. And yet the vast majority of them, I believe, were fired. Maybe Al Bagnoli is the one to break the cycle. After almost 40 years coaching winning teams, perhaps he's ready for the biggest challenge in Ivy League football. Even at age 23 or 24, Ford says, Bagnoli was uncommonly hungry. He had no coaching experience, and uh, he came with us and was very, very uh, anxious to learn. Uh, he had a great work ethic. He was dedicated. He took great pride in beating me into the office every morning, and, and I'm uh, up at 5 and in the office by about quarter of six guy, so he <laughs> he proved to me that he uh, really wanted college coaching in a, a fierce way. Work hard, control what you can control. That's Bagnoli's approach. Go, hats on, specialists, let's go, let's go! Have a great Tuesday out here today, let's go! Let's go to work! It's four days before the pen game. The scent in the air is autumn leaves mixed with the rubbery components of artificial turf. A hundred young men and a dozen coaches are scattered over the field. Coach is making the rounds, taking time with each unit. If all hell breaks loose, you know what I'm saying? We're, we're okay punting. All right, Coach, we're good. That's fine. Yeah, he's good. Famous last words. I'm good. Don't worry about it. I got it. That's a very good. We put a wireless mic on him, and I can say now with some confidence, Coach's favorite expressions are, let's go, and... Come on. There's an impatience about the man. Oh, turn it! Mm. Uh, you think you're over-rotated just a little bit on the last just one? Just, just just, a smidge or what? what? Yeah, right. Yeah, God forbid, right? Maybe get like five in a row so I can sleep. God forbid. This field is Coach's meeting room. It's his office hours. And Bob Gilmartin, the performance director just gave him the numbers from the weekly weigh-in. Every week, each player steps on a scale, and some players, whether they mean to or not, are in fact losing weight. And that's troubling. Yeah, no, no. If you're not careful, you lose 15, 20 pounds by right. week 10, and 
You drop pounds, you're more likely to get injured. This is Bagnoli's view. The last coach, Pete Mangurian, he saw it differently. He wanted a lighter, nimbler team, though the Lions' record seemed to prove him wrong. It's a big stickler with our kids about maintaining... Keep it. Yeah. Try to maintain strength and maintain weight. To the players, coach's message is, Penn is just another game. Practice your best so you will play your best. But with Gil Martin, he's more candid. His mind's eye can see the next opponent clearly. I mean, they got good kids. I mean, they're pretty stout. You look at that offensive line, they're pretty stout. The defensive line is pretty stout. They're not running as well as you know, 49 for them does, who's a very good player. But, yeah, should be interesting. <laughs> it will be that, right? <laughs> yeah, this will be one. This will be a whole separate chapter of the book. <laughs> this will have its own chapter. So he is writing his own story in his head. We all do that. If I were writing the legend of Al Bagnoli rather than just watching what happens, I'd be tempted to smudge the facts and delay the pen game. A hero's reckoning with where he came from, it's a big deal. Steve Jobs was in exile for 12 years building a computer that never really caught on before he came back to Apple. Al Bagnoli does not have that kind of time. Saturday comes fast. On game day, buses line up in front of the main campus to take spectators up to Kraft Field. And for once, they're full. My neighbors are Frederick Tam and Shay Olojo, and they would not miss this. It just feels like, almost like religion. You're all agreeing on something, and you're all going to help each other, and you're all going to support each other no matter what. And it's a beautiful feeling, yeah. And I feel like we should have it in Colombia. It surpasses all kind of cultural, um, social, economic divides. Like, people you wouldn't normally talk to, you talk to today, you know. They're both sophomores, and they're friends from a Bible study group. And they actually know some guys on the team through the group. Do you think God cares who wins today? Well, honestly, God just wants the best team to win. Like, I don't think God God doesn't favor. But I want, I'm sure he kind of likes Colombia. So. I, I, I like to assume God likes us better than Penn. But, you know, God shows no favorites. Um, but I really do think it's more about showing faith. And the fact that we've been losing quite a lot and we like people are still coming. Yeah, like, it's a it good shows thing. Fa- like it we shows have faith and belief. Yeah. And I'm sure God li- likes that. So we're like, yeah. yeah. There are about 12,000 people in the stands. It's the best attended homecoming in years. Very festive atmosphere here. And a few of the fans are drunk and they want a good show. Down on the field near Penn's end zone and very near to me, Columbia President Lee Bollinger is schmoozing with none other than Robert Kraft, owner of the New England Patriots. Robert Kraft is standing on Robert Kraft Field. He's wearing aviators and these patent leather Nikes that look expensive. First down finds after the carry by number 31, Cameron Molina. Ten minutes in, it appears Kraft and Bollinger picked a great place to plant their feet. Columbia's very first drive leads to a touchdown right in front of their eyes. It's junior wide receiver Cameron Dunn who carries the ball across the line. The game is off to a thrilling start. Maybe God does care. And maybe he does like Columbia. Penn fails to score on its next drive. It's Columbia's ball again. Quarterback Skylar Morninweg launches the ball to wide receiver Scooter Hollis. Two defenders jump on him, and the ball comes loose, and a Penn man jumps on it. 
And if I had to pick a moment this game takes a wrong turn for the Lions, here it is. The Quakers have the ball now, and they lose no time in evening the score. Pass is complete for number 87. Ryan Kelly for a touchdown. As the game comes apart, Coach Bagnoli picks a fight with an official over a call. He's waving his arms in all directions, almost like a pantomime of a driver who just got rear ended. Are you kidding me? 87 just knocked our guy down. He knocked the guy down. He picked the shit out of him. He knocked him down. And if I hadn't seen him make a similar performance in every other game, I'd think, wow, that must have been a terrible call. Actually, this is something Al Bagnoli does. They must all know him, the officials. Penn scores again, and again, and again. Columbia does not. The Lions aren't even showing much fight. Around halftime, the sun dips behind Inwood Hill, and the fans evacuate the stands. I switch to wool socks and start jumping up and down to keep warm. And Matt heads over to the Penn side of the stadium. Where people have mixed emotions about what they're seeing, they all know Al Bagnoli, and they like him. They'll tell you, we wish him success in every game but one. So they want his team to lose today, but they also expected the Lions to do better than this. David Perry is a Penn alum from 1992. I'm surprised it's this bad. I mean, I really, yeah, I thought, yeah, I figured we'd win, but I thought it was going to be a lot closer than this. So and I think Columbia at this point seems to have kind of lost their intensity. So... Yeah, we'll see. But. And Penn, well, they've only had one win so far this season. But tonight, things are looking good. Coach, and, and the players are playing well. And they're playing Columbia. Marjorie. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I say that out loud? That's not very nice. That was unkind. Out loud on the radio. <laughs> I'm thinking of Mrs. Bagnoli up in the hospitality suite with her family. All three kids went to Penn. And I'm scanning the Columbia stands looking for some cheer. And cheer announces itself. It's actually pretty unmistakable. We love them. We're still riding on the high from last week, so it's totally fine. We're, we're, fine. we're here for the booty, not the game. In the form of three women in furry vests and earrings, unusually well-dressed for the occasion. Z, Henrietta, and Camille. Don't even try to figure out which one is talking. We've been, like, checking in on them, making sure they're making games. Making sure they're eating that protein. Lifting, squatting, You're making sure they're eating enough protein. So, like, we said, like, do you have enough, like, Chipotle? Like, do you want... We, I brought them back some I brought them back some chocolate to make sure they were got, they got, like, big enough. So I brought back chocolate from England. Summary. The lions have nice arms. We would like to squeeze them. We bring them food. We cheer for them. We don't really understand football. Well, one of us does. This is going to be a great season. We're their biggest fans. Uh, there's like parties tonight. Are you going to see these guys at parties or like I hang mean, out later? Last week they had a party. We had a and they were so happy. It, it was so wonderful. Fun. Tonight, yeah, I, I think the first, the first game with them, I'm not with Princeton. The first game they played, they cancelled the after party because they lost and they were really sad. So I don't know what's going to happen. They're usually too busy training, I think, to like yeah. be really doing they're the they're also out like, it, it, You really have to schedule time with them because they're so busy. Sorry, do you have the time? Yeah, we have to. Oh my god, you are going to leave early? Uh, 6.28. We actually have to we, it was really nice to speak to you. Like, oh god, I can't believe you're leaving. The only thing is my roommate um, invited me to dinner with her parents. I felt like... I, Five I minutes today. left on the clock. These ladies are out of here. This is what a shellacking looks like. Pen 42, Columbia 7. Chris, what were the emotions in facing out tonight? I mean, he's obviously meant so much to the Penn program. 
Penn's coach, Ray Priori, is the first to speak after the game. The emotions were, you know, like anything else. I mean, we're all competitive people. We are. I mean, I don't care if I was playing coaching in basketball. You know, he would want to foul me, and I would want to foul him. That's just we are. We're, we're, we're competitive people. We've known each other for years. This man was Al Bagnoli's deputy for decades. Even in the way he talks, he sounds like Bagnoli. And it turns out they've been talking. During the week, I called him up on Wednesday night. We had a great hour, you know, plus conversation, which was great driving home. And, you know, because I knew there would be all things that you'd want to talk to a friend, you know, person who you worked for for 23 years. And it was great. A few minutes later, it's Coach Bagnoli's turn. And what he says next is almost verbatim what he said after Princeton, after Georgetown, after Fordham. Yeah, I mean, from my end, we're obviously disappointed. Uh, we knew we'd have to play well. Um, I didn't anticipate making the amount of mistakes that we made, and obviously that starts with me, so I've got to do a better job preparing them, and I'm not quite sure uh, what happened. In The Legends, when the hero has his reckoning with the past, he discovers he's a changed man. Maybe it hardens him. Maybe it makes him more clever. There's a difference you can see. So how does Al Bagnoli think he's changed halfway into this season? The difference between winning and losing is very fragile. It's so fragile, people have no idea how minute it is between why you win and why you lose. And it's a constant education, and it's a constant reminder, it's a constant battle mentally as well as physically to get kids to understand how fragile success actually is. And so that's what you learn and you're constantly reminded. And as a coach, anytime you think it's safe, it's never safe. And the same thing as a player. The second you think you have it licked, it comes back and it bites you. So everything you do is, is, is very, very, very fragile. Coach told us next he had a dinner appointment with some high school seniors. He was going to try to convince them to come play for Columbia football next year. The job never ends, and after a game like that, I don't know how you do that. Heroes make sacrifices to do big things, and Al Bagnoli picked a doozy. Not because the Lions aren't talented, they are, but because nobody has been able to make this Lion jump through a hoop, and then another hoop, and then another hoop. Maybe sustained success isn't in the blood. Bob Ford, Al Bagnoli's teacher and friend, says if anyone can do this, Al can. But... seems to be a difficult place to win. I'm not saying you can't win, but I I do think it presents some challenges that uh, maybe Harvard doesn't have and um, maybe uh, Dartmouth and Yale and Princeton don't have. So uh, it it would be a challenge. Now, Al's always been up for challenges. I don't think he's ever shied away from them. At the same time, is that a program that can be turned around in two years? I don't know. I think the coaching profession would argue that it cannot be. When I saw Mrs. Bagnoli before the game, I let her know that Coach had mentioned her in a team meeting. When they lost, he said... What he said was, sometimes it's good to have a wife. Help you put things in perspective. I kind of am the part of the family that always sees the glass half full. So you may not have won, but we saw progress. And as long as you're seeing steady progress, I feel that is a win. You know, it may not be a win in the stats column, but, you know, things, like I said to him, it's it's not an overnight change. And sometimes it is one step forward, two steps back. It's going to be little baby steps 
you know, and as long as those steps are going in the right direction, I mean, you knew we weren't going to come here and you weren't going to have an Ivy League championship the first year. I mean, that's unrealistic. After all. This is what you came here for. This is what you want. So. Like Coach told us, you want days that feel like a 10, you're also going to pull some ones. Next time on The Season, the difference between practicing on the field and gameplay, mental toughness required. I've never seen the Lions get knocked down and then get back up again and fight back. And the challenges only get harder. The next three teams the Lions face are some of the toughest in the league, Dartmouth, Yale, and Harvard. Ever gotten a piece of advice that lingered in your brain? Aaron in Massachusetts sent us this voice memo about her high school rowing coach, Chuck Hamilton. Tough guy, lots of rules. This was a big one. He reminded us all the time that every stroke was new and nothing that came before that stroke or what was to come after mattered at all. Just what you were doing at that very exact moment with the oars. Stay in the moment and you can do your very best. And it's something that stayed with me to this day. And it helped her get over the death of a family member. Thank you, Aaron. Shoot us a short voice memo about the coaching that helped you have a breakthrough. The email is theseason at wnyc.org. The Season is produced by Matt Collette with engineering by Casey Means. We're edited by Karen Frillman with Sean Bowditch and Charlie Herman. Jim Schachter is WNYC's vice president for news. Some of the music you've heard was recorded by the Columbia University Marching Band. And one last thing, if you're not getting enough of the season, you can get more. This week, we're on The Gist, a podcast hosted by the outrageously entertaining Mike Pesca. It's me and Lions running back Cam Molina. We do a deep dive on what it was like to play for the Lions' last coach. So head on over to The Gist. I'm Ilya Merritt. Thank you for listening.